Thanks for checking out a sermon from First United Methodist Church located in Sheridan, Wyoming. To learn more about who we are, please check out our webpage at fumcsheridanwy.org. Today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And he, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and glorifying to you. Amen. All right, this morning we find ourselves again back in Mark's Gospel. And we hear this week the Mark's version of the Transfiguration. This is Transfiguration Sunday, after all. And in the Christian calendar, we look at this story almost every year. This is our transition, if you will, from the season of Epiphany into our season of Lent. Just like how we are transitioning now from Advent and Christmas, Epiphany, the Transfiguration, and going into Lent, Mark also uses this story as a major tipping point in his gospel. Up to this point, In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been showing the disciples a new view of what the kingdom of God looks like. This kingdom is one of outward healing and inner peace. Jesus has been demonstrating extraordinary actions and is teaching with profound words. There is excitement building Is Jesus really the Messiah? Okay, there we go. Yes! (laughs) Yeah, I like it. That was good. Even if he doesn't look like what they expected, we recognize, they recognized Jesus as being the Messiah. And if they didn't up until this point, this is again the tipping point. This is the moment where uh, it becomes clear 
that Jesus is the Messiah. All right, now it's important to to rewind just a little bit, and so that's what we're going to do. When, when a verse starts with six days before or after, six days after, uh, six days before, it, it's probably important for us to actually pause and take a look at what happened six days before. Uh, and so this morning, what, what that is referring to is back to what Jesus was teaching. Mark tells us that Jesus had just begun talking about the great suffering that he must go through, that he would be killed and after three days would rise again. This, this interaction here in Mark, Peter is the one that, uh, I love Peter. I so appreciate him. He says the things that go on in my head, only he's brave enough to say them out loud. That's an amazing thing. Peter is the one that rebukes Jesus and says, nope, you are not going to do this. And then Jesus rebukes Peter, uh, behind me, Satan, right? Behind me, Satan. If you want to read it, you can look at Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. This is the backdrop or what happens before Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into the mountain, that we hear of the story today. So again, the transfiguration here is, is beginning the beginning of a shift, a tipping point in Mark, as Jesus now prepares to bring his work to completion, even though this event marks a transition in Jesus' ministry, it, it is even more than that. This event in and of itself is an epiphany, it is a sudden manifestation of the divine. So much so that Peter, James, and John don't know what to do. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so let's, let's join in this experience on the mountain of, of this gathering between Elijah and Moses, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. For me, right off of the bat, it's very interesting that Jesus only takes with him three disciples to experience this moment. And of the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that's an interesting choice. Because Peter, again, just a few verses before this, is fighting with Jesus about the suffering and dying. He doesn't think that that should have to happen, and yet he brings Peter with him to the top of the mountain. James and John, in just a few verses from now, are going to be arguing over who is better. Who deserves the number one seat? Yet these are the ones that Jesus takes to the top of the mountain that day. It makes me stop and wonder. I wonder if, if Jesus wanted these three to experience this moment because he knew that they would need this experience to get them to the resurrection. Would this be the experience that would help their faith get through the pain of the cross of watching their teacher suffer and die? Would this experience give them the strength to gather the disciples 
back together again? Would it give them the strength to stand next and with and beside that in that moment? Whatever the reason may have been, Jesus took these three with him up the mountain that day, and what they experienced is hard to imagine. And I would say even more challenging to explain if you can really explain it at all. I, th- I think that when we, when we allow this, this story and this experience to, uh, to speak over us, it, it's trying to help us draw in a connection with what is going on here. There are stories in the Old Testament when we hear of unexplainable events. And these events typically portray the power and presence of God. This event that we experience in these scriptures this morning is not any different. When Jesus is transfigured, we notice that his outward appearance reflects his inner self. Jesus is caught up in the love, power, and the kingdom of God, and it transforms his entire being with light. To me, it's a connection that I would make. Uh, it's like when you're listening to music, and it touches you in a, in a different way, in a way that, that just simply hearing words doesn't touch, touch you in the same exact way. Music gets all the way into your soul, and it lifts your soul. It touches your soul. Moses experienced something like this on a mountain as well. Uh, Coming down off the mountain, he needed a veil to cover his face because his face was shining so brightly. And the description here is clear. That there is nothing that can truly explain this. No amount of bleach can make you shine this bright. Anyone going to take me up on that? Seeing Jesus change into this amazing sight, like that wouldn't be enough for these three to bear witness to. Next thing you know, Elijah and Moses are up there talking with Jesus as well. Because both of these individuals in Jewish tradition did not die, but were taken up to heaven Uh, And we're living in heaven. And so here they are. Jesus, Elijah, with a J, and Moses. Could you imagine standing on that mountain that day and watching this whole thing go down? I mean, it's it's no wonder that Peter would say something... Uh, without probably really thinking it completely through, because we're told in Mark, they didn't know what to say. <laughs> Have you experienced something like that, where uh, that, that you're watching something and you just, there are no words? 
but Peter makes up some words and he asks if he could make some dwelling places for for all of them. And, and there's a couple ways in which we can understand and look at what Peter is saying here. One way of understanding it is that uh, what, what Peter could be referring or what Mark could be referring to here is the um, mosaic tent of meeting that Moses used in the wilderness. So if we look at Exodus 33, 7 to 11, and, and I'll read it for you. Uh, you're, you're welcome to write that down and, and look it up uh, later as well. But I'm going to share with you what these verses talk about. Exodus 33, 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them at the entrance of their tents, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow, all of them, at the entrance of their tents. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. It's interesting, right, that... Peter would say, hey, let's, let's build some spaces here. Let's, let's stay here. And the moment that he says that, because he didn't know what to say, and he was, he was scared, he was frightened, a cloud covers the area. Now, when the Israelites were roaming through the wilderness, I'll remind you that during the day, a pillar of cloud led their way, and at night, a pillar of fire led their way at night to represent the presence of God. And so when we look at this story and we experience the story of, uh, through this lens of, of Peter saying, hey, we should, we should build something and, and, and meet inside of there and the cloud covers, could that cloud help us remember and draw back to this story that the presence of God is there in that space. Now, we don't know. I, am I the only one that would want, I, I really would love to know what they were talking about. Uh, two, I would really like to know how long were they on top of that mountain? And that might not seem too relevant, but to me, it, it's relevant. Because how long did they stay inside of that cloud? Was it a moment or was it hours? Because to me, the difference is the cloud comes, you hear the, this voice, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, and then the cloud disappears. But what happens if it was hours? And then you are in that space Dreaming and thinking and wondering, do we 
really in our day and age get hours to do that anymore? There was a time when I thought, oh, I can't wait to retire. I'm going to have all this free time. And then I watched these people retire around me. Man, who started that lie? I think of the importance of spending time in God's presence. So I wonder how long these guys were standing in that space, in the cloud, basking in God's presence. So as they're in this moment, there comes a time when we hear a voice. And the words that are used reflect back on Jesus' baptism. Only now we also get another phrase, listen to him. Which I sort of wonder, is that for James and John or is that only for Peter? It's for us. It's for all of us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Understanding that Jesus will continue to talk about suffering, death, and resurrection. Now, after this experience, as they're on their way down from the mountain, uh, they're told not to talk about this or share this with anyone until after the resurrection. I would venture a guess that Peter, James, and John were, one, confused by that statement because they were still trying to wrestle and understand what that meant. But I would also imagine that they were confused and still trying to reconcile what just happened and what it means. Playing this experience over and over in their heads and holding on to the feelings and what they felt the feelings that they felt and what they saw. As, as we reflect on this story I, for ourselves, I think we can notice something that all three, uh, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus have in common. Moses and Elijah are the only Hebrew prophets who had the delight of anointing their successor. Moses chose Joshua. This is what always confused me, uh, and it still confuses me, so I'm going to say it slowly. Elijah chose Elisha. One letter, really. Jesus also chose his successors, right? And it was the disciples. And when I say disciples, I mean more than the 12. I mean disciples, which crossing time and space also means you. Jesus chose you. Peter, James, and John, no doubt, held this moment in their hearts and would have enjoyed staying there longer. 
I mean, who doesn't want to stay in those mountaintop experiences longer? Yet they couldn't stay up there because there was more work to be done. And maybe by being with Jesus on the mountain, they received inspiration to keep them motivated to do the work that Jesus laid before them. So down the mountain they went and back to work did they go. I would venture a guess for us that we have also experienced uh, God's presence in our lives in deep, powerful, and meaningful ways. Maybe not as extravagant as the transfiguration, but in important ways, none the same. These are the stories and the moments that help encourage us and help us realize that faith is not lived apart from real, everyday living. My hope for us is that as we allow this story to wash over us, that we remember that Jesus has chosen us for such a time as this to be his disciple, to experience the living God each and every day, to come down off the mountain and to get back to work. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence that inspires us, that encourages us, that strengthens us to do your work. Help us. Help us to live by your grace, to live by your mercy, to live by your love. For God, we love you. And we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We would love for you to join us again for worship in person or online, and we look forward to being with you next time.